0: Why don't we go ahead and let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the time that we've had in our worship services to this point. Lord, just an opportunity to reflect upon who you are, Lord Jesus. Indeed, you are great and you are awesome. As the word of God teaches us, you were the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And what a privilege we have to be able to come into your presence this morning and to just worship you for who you are. Father, as Brother Jerry prayed, I pray that our worship has been a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto you, that it has been acceptable to you because it has come from our heart. Lord, now as we enter into this time of looking at your word, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would be prepared to receive the message that you would desire for us to receive today. Father, I pray through the preaching and the teaching of your word, that people will be drawn to you. Lord, you tell us in your word that where your word is preached and taught, it will not return void. And so, Father, we claim that promise this morning, trusting and believing that your Spirit is going to draw and convict and work in every person's life in your perfect way. God, direct me, Lord, hide me behind your cross and help people not to hear my words, but I pray that they would hear your words. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews the ninth chapter. As you're turning your Bibles to that particular passage of scripture, we're gonna be focusing our attention this morning on verses 11 through 15. This morning I plan on being abbreviated in my time that I have with you because I want to make sure that we also have a time where we can come and gather around the Lord's Supper. But one of the commitments that I have made as a preacher as a pastor for a number of years is when we have the Lord's Supper, I always want to make it a time where we can focus upon the Lord's Supper, where we can just come and remember what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. I hope that you have recognized in the songs that we've sang this morning, that has been what our plan is, is to try to get a time in which where we can just come and focus our hearts and our minds on what Jesus Christ did at the cross and through his sacrifice and through his burial and through his resurrection. I am so very appreciative of the hard work that Brother Andy and the choir have put in as well as Sherry and April as they led us this morning. I hope that God has just spoken into your heart and your life through those songs. And I hope that our minds, our hearts will be open to just allow God to speak into our hearts and our lives what it is that he wants to say through his word this morning. We have a great privilege, as I've stated earlier, as God's church to gather around the Lord's table, to come and to observe the Lord's supper. But I want to remind us of something that I believe is of great significance as God's people. When we come here today to gather around the Lord's table, it is not a memorial, That is not what we've come to do. We don't come to remember a dead Savior. We come to remember a living Savior, a Savior who has risen from the grave, and through faith in Him, we are enabled to have a relationship with Him. And so I want to remind us of that today, that we come today to meet with a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, At his table. So I want you to hear the words of the writer of Hebrews this morning in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verses 11 through 15. This is one of the most intriguing books and most fascinating books in all of God's Word. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to study this book, but I'm always fascinated to it because it gives us a good, clear understanding of the Old Testament in relationship to the New Testament, the Old Covenant in relationship to the New Covenant. I love what it says in chapter 10 of the book of Revelation that everything that happened back in the Old Testament was a shadow of that which was to come. The law, the sacrificial system, all of the feasts that the children of Israel practiced, the tabernacle, all of that in the Old Testament was simply a shadow. And what it was doing was pointing to the time when the stage would be set and Jesus Christ arrives. And now it's no longer a shadow. It is clear we can see in person everything that in the old testament was pointing to it was all screaming pointing to the arrival of the messiah the long-awaited messiah that god had promised to the children of israel and that's the reason jesus christ says to us in scripture he's not come to do away with the law but he's come to do what to bring fulfillment to the law all of the old testament finds its fulfillment In Jesus Christ. I like what one of my seminary professors used to tell us. If you look hard enough, you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. I am convinced of that. If we know where to look and what we are looking for, we can very clearly see Jesus Christ on every page of the Bible. Whether it's through a type of Christ that we find in the Old Testament, through the sacrificial system that is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, whether it is the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle being a picture of a heavenly tabernacle, and in the same way that the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies and made sacrifice once a year on behalf of himself, his family, and the children of Israel, do you know what it says here in this passage of Scripture? that Jesus Christ has done the same thing on our behalf. He has entered into the Holy of Holies, but not the earthly tabernacle, isn't that right? But a heavenly tabernacle that the earthly tabernacle was patterned after. And he passed through the Holy of Holies, and do you know what Jesus Christ did? He offered a sacrifice. But it was not like the Old Testament sacrifice. He offered himself as a sacrifice. The once for all sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement. I was reading in one of my commentaries this week. I like what it said about the Old Old Testament sacrifices. The writer of the commentary made this statement. He said, I don't think any of the Old Testament sacrifices were willing to go. Isn't that true? (laughs) I doubt if there was any Old Testament sacrifices that was like begging to go and be sacrificed on behalf of the children of Israel. But he said there is one who has willingly offered himself on our behalf. And as we sang earlier in the song, "The the blood ran red, we owe it all to him. Everything we owe to him. All that I am and all that I have belongs to Jesus Christ. Have you come to that point in your life this morning where you have offered, where you have surrendered everything you have to him? You've said, here it is, Jesus. It's all yours. I want you to listen to what it says here, verse 11. Listen to what it says. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. That tent that he is referring to there is a pattern of the earthly tabernacle. The tent that, was, that the children of Israel worshipped in in the wilderness was the tabernacle. It was patterned after a heavenly tabernacle. The tabernacle that Jesus passed through was this earthly, uh, I mean this heavenly tabernacle. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifers could sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ who through the external spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So have you understood what he's saying so far to this point? What he's saying is just as the high priest in the Old Testament entered into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement and offered a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the high priest of the New Covenant, has entered into the Holy of Holies, but not an earthly Holy of Holies, but a heavenly Holy of Holies. And he has offered himself there as a sacrifice on our behalf, a once for all sacrifice. And through that perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself, he was able to meet the just demands of the law. What the law required was a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ met those just demands. Now think about it for a moment. If Jesus Christ hadn't met the just demands of the law, God would have never raised him from the dead. But by virtue that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, do you know what God was saying? He was putting in his stamp of approval on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He was saying, I accept your sacrifice as the once for all sacrifice offered for the sins of mankind. Isn't that great? Amen. There's no need for further sacrifices. It was the perfect sacrifice that could never be repeated. Now go back and listen to what he says here in verse 15. He says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. As I stated earlier, we have the opportunity to gather and observe the Lord's Supper. The Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ took a common meal of that day and time. It was called the Passover meal. And he gave spiritual significance to his followers. He took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this bread represents my body which I lay down for you. Then he took a cup and he said, the juice in this cup represents my blood. And it is through that blood that he sealed his covenant with his followers the new covenant that we find in the New Testament, the new covenant that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about throughout this book. Over and over again, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is the new covenant that Jesus Christ has sealed with his blood is superior to that of the old covenant. The problem was these were the people he was writing to were Hebrew Christians. And they were in danger of going back to the Old Testament law. They were in danger of going back to the Old Covenant. And he's writing and saying, why do you want to do that? Don't go back there. The covenant, the New Covenant, is superior to that of the Old Covenant. And the reason it is, is because of the sacrifice The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the once-for-all perfect sacrifice, makes the new covenant superior to that of the old covenant. What was the old covenant based on? Well, the old covenant was based on the laws, the sacrificial system. It was external religion, but not internal religion. Not saying they could not have an internal relationship with God, but most of what took place were external rituals that were prescribed to the children of Israel to follow so they would be acceptable to God. But the problem is, is the understanding of those things. Those things were pointing to a greater day, a greater day when Jesus Christ would come. So Jesus Christ takes those two elements, and through those two elements, he takes a normal meal, and he gives it great spiritual significance for our lives. This morning, I want us to just focus for a few moments on one of the elements of that meal. I want us to focus on the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the cup. He said, the fruit of the vine that's in this cup represents my blood that would seal the covenant that I am making with you. Earlier, we sang that old hymn there is power in the blood. How many of you know that hymn? I can remember growing up and singing that as a boy. I love the words. I want you to hear the words of the course one more time. And I want you to just listen to them carefully. There is power, power, wonderworking power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I thought about singing that this morning, but I changed my mind. (laughs) I don't think that would have been very wise. But did you hear what the writer said? There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he goes on and he writes, Without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sin. I've thought about that statement a lot this week, there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that statement this week, this is the question that keeps coming back in my mind. A power to do what, though? There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ, but a power to do what? Well, I think that is the question that the writer of Hebrews answers for us in this passage of Scripture. He's going to say, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ has the ability to do three things. Let me quickly just state them to you this morning. Number one, first, the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to secure our eternal redemption. Amen? Listen to what he says here in verse 12. He entered once for all, that's Jesus Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Did you hear what the writer said here? What all of these Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do under the religion of Judaism, Jesus Christ did through his his sacrifice for us. Through his sacrifice, what Jesus Christ has done for us is he has secured eternal redemption for you and I. That word redemption is such a powerful, rich word. As a matter of fact, the word means to purchase or to ransom something. It was used of a slave who was bought off the slave market, and then he was given his freedom. Now, when we take that term and we apply it to the Christian life, this is what it means. In the same way that a slave was bought off the slave market, you and I have been bought off the slave market of sin through the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, through His sacrifice. And what He has done, He has set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. What is the power? What is the the power of sin? The power of sin is death. But through salvation... We have died to the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin in our life. Or at least one day in the future, we will die to the presence of sin in our life. There is a power in the blood of Jesus Christ, is what the writer says. The blood of Jesus Christ has the power to secure our eternal redemption. I don't know about you, but that's good news, isn't it? When you think about that. That through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can be made right with God. But that's not all that the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to do. There was a second thing in this passage of Scripture he said. The blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse our conscience from our sin." I like that listen to what he says here in this passage in verse 14 how much more with the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God I don't know about you but in my time, in my life, there's something that I often strive for, or wanted for when I found myself in difficult circumstances. When there were things that were weighing on my mind and on my heart, many times what I mo- wanted more than anything else in life was peace of mind. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? Where you find yourself in the midst of challenging, difficult circumstances, and what you crave, what you desire more than anything else in life is just peace. Of mind. Have you ever experienced that in life? I have. If you've experienced that in life, you can understand what every single lost person goes through. For the lost person, there is no lasting spiritual peace in their life. And the reason that is, is they're living under the wrath of God, they're at enmity with God. And because of that, they cannot experience true peace, spiritual peace in life. There is a guilt that is always hanging over their conscience, and the reason there is a guilt that is always hanging over their conscience is because they have broken the moral law of God. It's like the old saying that goes, people feel guilty because they are guilty. it's true it's true now listen to me carefully this morning that's the bad news the bad news everyone apart from Christ is living under condemnation but I want you to hear the good news this morning the good news is this therefore If anyone is in Christ Jesus our Lord, there is no condemnation. That word condemnation is a unique word. It's a legal term. The word condemnation means to be declared guilty in a court of law. To be utterly helpless. To stand before a judge without any hope. You see, every one of us stood there. But the difference is this, when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't stand there alone today. We stand with one beside us who is our advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish has the ability to stand before us to cleanse us, to purify our conscience from our sins. Do you see? What did the writer say here in this passage of Scripture? He said, purify our conscience from dead works. Do you know what he's referring to there? Do you remember what the prophet Isaiah said? All of the good works we do in this body are as filthy rags in the sight of God. That's the reason religion can never make us right with God. You can be morally good and you're still condemned under the wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. But there is one who loves us and wants to stand with us before the judge. He's the one who wants to say, I have applied my blood to them. They belong to me. I am their advocate. Do you see that? Praise the Lord, huh? The blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse our conscience of our sin. Number three, the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to guarantee our spiritual inheritance. Listen to what he says here in verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeemed them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, received the promised eternal inheritance. That's something we've been promised. The blood of Jesus Christ has the power to guarantee our spiritual inheritance. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Ephesians, the first chapter. Paul opens that chapter by talking about all of the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ Jesus. He closes it by speaking about the spiritual inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. And he said this the Holy Spirit is our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, stay with me as I tie it all up this morning, as I close. All right? So every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have been redeemed. We have been bought off the slave market of sin and the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our lives. At the moment in time we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God came and took up residence in our life. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit at that moment in time when the blood was applied to our life, it purifies, it cleanses our conscience from our sin. We are no longer under God's condemnation. Now we have a peace of mind that says, all is well with the Lord Jesus Christ. That Holy Spirit that has come to reside in our hearts and our lives, is the promise, is the deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. Jesus said one day to his disciples, I will go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you there to be with me also. There is a power in the blood of Jesus Christ to take the hardest of heart, cleanse it, make it new, and give it a desire to want to worship and serve the one true living Savior of the world. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then our instrumentalist is going to come. They're going to play for a few moments and give us an opportunity to just reflect upon our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the day that you have given us. We thank you for your word and the way it speaks to our hearts. Father, now as we enter into this time of the Lord's Supper, I pray that each one of us would reflect upon our own lives. We would take the opportunity. There's something there, Lord, that we need to deal with today. That we would would bring it to your altar. Lord, that we would repent and ask that you would wash us and cleanse us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks truth into our hearts. You have our, your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.